Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I am here to help you feel great in your body and rock your hormones with so much ease and grace so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Last September, at the end of my second trimester, week 26 to be exact, I was scheduled for my one-hour glucose tolerance test. You know, the test that they give pregnant women, and you got to drink the nasty orange-colored sugar concoction and wait an hour to see if you are utilizing glucose effectively. But before my doctor gave me the sheet to schedule the lab appointment, she said to me matter-of-factly that I would not pass the one-hour glucose test and that I would also need to take the three-hour glucose tolerance test because simply put... I was in my 40s and I most likely already have insulin resistance and a lot of women don't know that being pregnant makes women more insulin resistant due to the physiological changes that happen when we're pregnant, hence gestational diabetes. Now she goes on to tell me that only 1 in 50 women my age passed the first one hour glucose test so I needed to be prepared to not pass it, not a big deal as far as she was concerned. Well. I personally took that as a challenge, and as you probably know because I've shared the results in previous interviews here on the show, I passed that one-hour glucose test with flying colors. My body was managing my blood sugar levels effectively during my pregnancy, even at the age of 41. Now, I'm not going to lie, this was not by accident. I had worked really, really hard at stabilizing my blood sugar levels and insulin levels for years, especially after I received my low thyroid and Hajimoto's diagnosis back in 2018. It was during that time I was working with an incredible functional practitioner that I learned that I had a very strong predisposition to type 2 diabetes. Now, this did not come as any surprise to me, because there were a lot of people in my family, especially the Mexican side of my family, with type 2 diabetes and heart disease. And yes, as we all know, these two are very connected. And also, hearing from thousands of women over the last several years that after they get to the age of 35 or 40, their weight simply doesn't budge. And for me, I wanted to understand what was going on. I wanted to dive deeper into what was happening with our metabolism and our blood sugar levels. And that research rabbit hole led me to some pretty crazy alarming statistics regarding insulin resistance and metabolism that I want to share with you. The first one is regarding insulin resistance. Right now, half of all the adults in the United States have insulin resistance and over 80% of us may have it. We're just not sure, but it's definitely between 50 and over 80% right now. Now we look closer specifically at women, over 65% of us have insulin resistance over the age of 40. And it's safe to assume that we could all benefit from more lifestyle changes and pivots in favor of making insulin more sensitive and our metabolism more flexible. And if you're here for that, yes, I am definitely here for that too. Even more so, according to the most recent research on metabolic function, only 12% of Americans have good metabolic health. The other 88% display one or more features that indicate that they have metabolic dysfunction and that their bodies are not able to utilize and process fats or carbohydrates effectively. This is especially important now as more than 30 million Americans meet the criteria for diabetes and 84 million have prediabetes. These people all have a degree of insulin resistance in which the body becomes numb to insulin. This is the hormone that stimulates cells to clear glucose from the blood. 
due to chronic overexposure to glucose, meaning sugar, and many other factors, which we will get into later in this episode. Now, the relationship, this is important that I want to share really quickly, the relationship between mood disorders and glucose control is something we should all be looking at. And why is that? Insulin resistance is a process that typically begins long before full-fledged diabetes. And 90% of people with pre-diabetic blood sugar levels don't even know they have this problem. Now, I want to repeat that. 90% of people with pre-diabetic blood sugar don't even know that they're pre-diabetic. And what's more, the last stat that I want to share with you, 72% of the United States, the adults in the United States, are overweight and obese. 120 million Americans are living with diabetes and prediabetes, and 25% to 40% of the United States suffer from largely preventable non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, you know how much I love the liver, and it has everything to do with insulin resistance. Big, big player here. That's a lot of us struggling with liver disease. So why are we seeing such outlandishly high rates of poor metabolic function and fitness and its downstream consequences? Well, what it really comes down to is our genetics. Our genetic code has not really changed in time that these diseases have become epidemic, but our lifestyles are unrecognizable as compared to prior centuries. Basically, our bodies are not adapting fast enough to the standard American lifestyle. In a nutshell, Our modern diet pretty much provides many of us a wide array of hypercaloric, irresistible, insulin-spiking foods. And some of us are spiking insulin levels many, many times during the day. Again, lending to the 130 million people with diabetes and prediabetes in this country. Now, given all of this alarming data, which, oh my gosh, jarred me to the core, I had no idea that we were in this much trouble and my own personal family history considerations, I really wanted to see where I stood in my metabolic function. And so I got a continuous glucose monitor and I was able to use the levels technology to really learn and see what was going on with my metabolic health. And I just wanna speak into really quickly the concept of continuous glucose monitors and what they are, all the things. So right now, because I've had so many questions about this in my DMs on Instagram and emails, because I've been talking a lot about wearing a continuous glucose monitor, the most common CGMs on the market are the Abbott Freestyle Libre, which is the one I wear, the Dexcom G6, and one from Medtronic. And they all have slightly different features. I will say that the Freestyle Libre is the most accessible continuous glucose monitor on the market and the most commonly recommended and most stocked and definitely easy to get through a secondary distributor, not necessarily your doctor. One of the major benefits of the Libre is that there's no calibration necessary. It's also relatively expensive. Most insurance companies will cover this device, but the out-of-pocket expense is approximately $65 for the 14-day sensor. That's what they make. They're 14 days and they expire, and then you put another 14-day one on. Now, women in my community have told me that the Libre is super easy to use, affordable, that they appreciate how easy it is to configure with a smartphone because you literally just scan over the CGM and it immediately reads the results. Like if I scanned it right now, it would tell me immediately what my blood sugar levels are. 
Now, I can personally attest to the ease of using the Libre Freestyle. I've been using it. This is now my fourth or fifth one that I've applied. And every 14 days, I take the old sensor off and I apply a new one. And then it calibrates within the hour on my smartphone, on my iPhone. And then it sends that new data to the Levels app. Now, I just want to be clear, the continuous glucose monitor is made by Libre Freestyle by Abbott. And then I also use a data technology called Levels. And Levels takes my glucose data stream from my CGM, which I can scan as many times during the day as I like. Back in the beginning, I was scanning like 40 times a day. Now I scan like maybe 15 to 20 times a day. Still a lot, but I really wanna see what's going on and I'm still testing things out. I'm testing out certain foods. I'm still really getting to know like what is the thing that will rock my blood sugar levels. And there are times where I'm actually really surprised, sometimes in a really great way and sometimes in a not so great way. Like a food that I thought would not spike my blood sugar levels totally does and I'm so grateful to know it but sometimes I'm really bummed to know it too so like I said levels takes this information and it just makes it easy to understand it makes the information engaging and very actionable like literally you will take action based on what you see in this now the level software gives us a new understanding of how our bodies are responding to different foods and in doing so helps us to control our blood sugar and keep it flat and in the optimal ranges. So we don't want the spikes. We want a really flat line across the board all day long. And that optimal range, which I've spoken into on different episodes, different solo episodes in the past, I have a lot of episodes on insulin resistance and weight gain on women and weight resistance. Worth going to check them out. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they were in the last couple of months. So the optimal range is 70 milligrams per deciliter to 110 milligrams per deciliter. And later on, I plan on sharing with you the top five unsuspecting healthy foods that spike your blood sugar levels in a really big way and then top five foods that you probably already know definitely spike your sugar and it's important to know because this is what's getting us in trouble this is how it's happening is over and over again we spike those blood sugar levels it leads to a spike in insulin and it leads eventually to our cells becoming numb to the hormone asking our cells to take up that glucose now lastly I believe that learning to control your blood sugar levels and keeping your blood sugar in optimal range even after a meal may significantly reduce the amount of people with type 2 diabetes, heart disease, PCOS, obesity, and weight resistance down the line, which I believe is a huge win for everyone, especially as we get older and our metabolism pivots. It changes. It becomes less flexible. Knowing your blood glucose at any given time during the day creates the opportunity to take preventive actions before blood sugar levels get out of hand and the body becomes insulin resistant and inflamed because that's ultimately what happens. You become insulin resistant, best believe you've got inflammation as well. Now I want to share what I've learned about wearing a continuous glucose monitor for over a whole month. I wore it in the month of May and part of that time I was actually on vacation in Hawaii. So I was really curious to see how I navigated that. Now I began wearing it again 14 days ago and I plan on wearing it for another three months because I really want to get a sense of what is going on with me and you know how I operate as I start to make changes. Do I become more flexible? Do I keep that optimal range easier? These are the things I'm really going to be interested in in the coming months as I continue to wear this and I do plan on giving an update. So I first put it on in early May, five months postpartum after having lost all of my pregnancy weight. I was back to my pre-pregnancy weight and I wanted a baseline that was similar to where I was before I was pregnant. So that's actually why I waited to get the CGM and the levels technology 
I wanted to kind of get back to my normal baseline and then start to wear it. Now I put the CGM device on the back of my right arm because it's my non-dominant side. I am left-handed in case you wanted to know. And in case you were wondering, it did not hurt one bit to apply it to the back of my arm and it was quite easy to do. After attaching the CGM, I waited an hour and then I started to see my real-time blood glucose levels. And every time I scan it, it would read my blood sugar and then the Levels app would compute a metabolic health score for me based on what I ate, my movement, my sleep, and other factors. So there's other things that's computing as well. And you're able to document what you ate, what kind of exercise you did, so that you have a sense of what it was that either kept your blood sugar stable or spiked your blood sugar. Now, I cannot tell you, I have been so fascinated by how much I can control my metabolism in real time. And I've learned that days can be cumulative. And what I mean by that is let's say I have dessert. Let's say strawberries and coconut wit after dinner. And note that dinner time, we are more insulin resistant. So after dinner, I'm definitely more insulin resistant. I guarantee this is gonna be a spike, right? Let's say I spike up to like 130 milligrams per deciliter. That spike in my blood sugar, especially if let's say it was eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night, because I usually stop eating before seven, that blood sugar level, it'll take me a minute for my body to recover and it will carry over to the next day, meaning my blood sugar levels are slightly higher the next day. So instead of my morning average being around 75 milligrams per deciliter, which is very typical for me when I'm doing my normal healthy thing, but a day after I have dessert like that, my blood sugar levels will be around 81 to 84 milligrams per deciliter when I wake up. And again, this is because of what I did the night before and it definitely affects my metabolic score for the next day. Now, the most interesting thing is to see what impacts your daily metabolic health score. For me, it's honestly any carb. I'm talking about any carbohydrate with sugar in it, except for vegetables. Veggies don't do that, but any carb will definitely do it. I don't eat a lot of carbs outside of vegetables and squashes. I don't eat gluten-free chips or gluten-free crackers or anything like that or any of that. But I have found that anytime I eat a carb, I will spike my blood sugar levels, even certain fruits. Now, the biggest offenders for me and for many people are sugary fruits like grapes, mango, peaches, um, let's see what other, like tropical fruits, pineapple, those are going to spike your blood sugar levels. Just a heads up there. If indeed you're my age and you're a woman, there's a good chance that we are just less metabolically flexible. And something like eight grapes, I, I know I ate yesterday before dinner, I had I think 10 or 12 blueberries and a couple of cashews because I just was starving. And it was about, I want to say 40 minutes before dinner. And you could see the spike. Like I hadn't eaten blueberries on their own before. And obviously, like just my body, that's just the way it is. Other things that really will spike it is rice. Rice is probably my biggest offender. Grains, sweet potatoes, especially like, like even sweet potatoes in an air fryer will do that to me. Now, in the month that I wore it back in May, and so far to date, the lowest score I've received is 69%. I remember that day so vividly. <laughs> and the highest score that I've had is 95%. Now, the 69% score was due to eating sushi rolls for dinner one night. Now, I always knew that sushi rolls weren't the best for me, but I didn't think that they were the worst either. And I honestly had no idea how much that dinner would spike my blood sugar levels. 
It was the highest I'd ever seen. I jumped all the way up to 150 milligrams per deciliter. And doctors and medical institutions will say anything above 140, you're definitely heading into a state of inflammation because it's extremely high. It's just a lot of sugar in the bloodstreams, a lot of sugar in your arteries, and that can lead to a lot of inflammation in your cardiovascular system. So anything, what we look at as an optimal range, I told you it's 110 over milligrams per deciliter, but even 120, anything over 120 really puts you in the danger zone. If you're consistently hitting that over and over and over again, that's just creating an inflammatory response. So I just wanted to speak in that. So when you hit 150, best believe you are causing some trouble inside of the body. So I want to break down what exactly is a blood sugar spike because I know I'm speaking into this a lot. A blood sugar spike will show up on the continuous glucose monitor as an event in which blood sugar was raised in response to eating a certain food. The goal is to keep glucose readings fairly level and steady as large spikes indicate higher blood glucose and in response the body has to release more substantial insulin to bring glucose levels back down. When this process occurs repeatedly, it can generate the pathologic process of insulin resistance whereby cells become numb to insulin. Now insulin resistance happens over time and if not corrected, could eventually lead to type 2 diabetes and at the very least, weight resistance, belly fat, anxiety, mood swings, brain fog, fatigue, those are oftentimes symptoms that we're seeing. Now, the other thing I wanted to speak into is let's say you do have a dessert and you have that big spike. Now, remember, insulin has to respond in a really robust way. And what happens there is that it oftentimes over responds and it'll force all the cells to pick up as much sugar as possible and you will dip down into low blood sugar. And what happens there is you feel foggy, you feel cravings, your brain sends a message to the body that says you need to eat. And so you end up becoming in this vicious cycle of you have the sugar, you have a massive, massive crash. And I've seen it, I've seen the crash on my on my levels app where I think I, I don't know exactly what I think I had an Asahi bowl and I will get into that in just a moment. I love Asahi bowls and I knew they were super sweet, but I still love them. But I remember having an Asahi bowl one afternoon and my blood sugar went up to like 130 and then crashed down to like, I think 55 milligrams per deciliter. And at that point, your blood sugar is low. You're gonna feel that. If you've ever felt like you've had low blood sugar, you're a little dizzy, you're definitely grouchy, your brain fogged, you're not able to function. That's what was happening. And you can imagine if we keep doing that, we keep raising it up because we have a little like a sugary snack or a, a sugar coffee or whatever that may be, your body responds and drops you down below optimal range, you feel lightheaded, you feel off, you feel exhausted, you eat another thing, you swing it back up. And so many of us are just going up and down, up and down like a yo-yo. So I just wanted to speak into that because I was huge watching that in real time happen to me. I was like, whoa. And then also tuning into how I felt when my blood sugar was that low. I was like, man, I just ate like an hour or two hours ago, but I feel like I got to eat again because the brain is sending these crazy messages because my blood sugar is so low. So as a society, our metabolic goal should be to reduce these glucose spikes, lower insulin production, thus decreasing the possibility for insulin resistance. In the short term, when we keep glucose and insulin more stable, we can improve cellular function, balance hormones, and improve our energy levels. And that is what I'm talking about. Now, what surprised me the most about this whole experience 
was how quickly I could throw off my blood sugar and my metabolic health with just one food. And I'm not talking about dessert like ice cream or chips or pasta or even bread, right? Those are big offenders. I don't eat those items, to be honest, and I haven't had any of those big offenders in a long, long time. The foods that spiked and crashed my blood sugar levels and forced a massive insulin response have been for me brown rice, sweet potatoes, sushi, as I just shared with you, some smoothies, protein bars, big time, and green juices without any fruit at all, like just straight veggie juices. So those are the things that I ate that literally sent me into a major glucose spiking spiral. Now, I found for me, this is my body, so I'm just speaking about my body, that it takes very little in terms of added carbs to throw off my optimal blood sugar range, especially at night, because we are more insulin resistant at night. That's where we literally turn our big dinner meals into stored fat, because we're not metabolically active at that part of the day. And so again, not talking about eating desserts or chips or pasta, what ultimately ended up happening for me was that at night, even you know anything carb-related at all would send a glucose spike up, even if I paired it with other things. And so I just wanted to speak into that. Like there's so much to be said about, you know, when we eat, like I would say, if you really want to eat dessert, I recommend dessert in the morning. (laughs) Or if you want to eat something carb driven, I definitely would recommend it in the morning or at lunch. Because at nighttime, we just don't have that flexibility because we're not working out at that time. We're not walking around everywhere at that time. Your body's circadian rhythm is on the downhill decline for getting ready for sleep. And so we go into storage mode. So just in case you're like trying to figure this out, one of the things I realized is I could have blueberries in the morning and I would not have the same spike as I had blueberries in the evening. Okay, so one of my biggest takeaways from wearing the CGM for over two weeks now is that my metabolic flexibility is not so flexible. I don't have a lot of wiggle room. That was the big thing I took away from this. There definitely, you could have more wiggle room than me. Definitely men have more wiggle room than me. But I, as a woman at 41, I don't know if it's my longstanding conditions or it's my predisposition to type 2 diabetes. Probably all those things are at play. But I'll tell you what, I have a very narrow margin that I've got to follow in order to stay metabolically healthy and I'm looking to improve it over time but right now I've got to keep it pretty clean and so that's just been the case for me like I can easily throw my blood sugar levels off now most days I end with a score in the 90 percentile because I am super good about keeping my blood sugar level stable but there are some days where I want a banana and almond butter (laughs) at, you know, and in the afternoon and ooh, that will definitely cause some issues. And so I just know that about me. And and the point of me talking about this isn't that, oh, you should never eat that food. I think it's important to know where you stand if you can get a look at it because every single one of us is different. We're all so unique. This has been my experience. That's why I wanted to share it with you because it was very enlightening. Now, I knew that I probably already had some level of insulin resistance, especially after being pregnant recently, but I have a feeling that it's actually worse than I originally thought based on how challenging it is to stay in the optimal range and get a score of 90% or higher. I have to work really, really hard. Now, I will say as a caveat that the 14-day detox that I created that I've shared a lot on the show and we've had thousands upon thousands of people go through it, one of the goals for that program was designed to not only heal the liver, heal the gut, reduce inflammation, but it was also to stabilize insulin and blood sugar levels. And I was actually on the program because we ran a big program in the spring the first five days that I was wearing my CGM. And what was super, super cool about it was that I had the most optimal... (laughs) 
scores those five days because all the foods on that program were designed to give insulin and your blood sugar levels a break. And so I really, really love that. And I've had so many women over the last couple of years tell me their labs after they completed the program. And they were always so excited to share that their blood sugar levels and their insulin levels and their hemoglobin A1C, which is an inflammatory marker for insulin, were all back to normal range. And so I know that the more I eat like that program, the more I'm going to be able to have that metabolic flexibility. And when I choose to eat that lifestyle, my body is always responds favorably and my blood sugar levels stay within optimal levels even after a meal. That detox in particular focuses on foods that really are designed to work on healing our metabolism as women. And it focuses on clean sources of protein like fish, lots of veggies, especially veggies that love up on your gut and your liver and some healthy fats like avocado and olive oil. And I'm gonna get into some recommendations at the end, so just stay put for just another couple minutes and I'm gonna get there. Now, another thing that I learned about my metabolic health was that the score, as I mentioned earlier, drops at dinner because we are more naturally resistant, especially at the ages of 35 and 40, give or take. Everyone's a little bit different. Now, the later I eat, the worse it gets. So I try to eat before 7, ideally around 6 p.m. It's been really hard for me to eat any earlier than that, but 6 p.m. is where I want. Tonight, I ate at... I want to say I ate at five o'clock and my blood sugar levels did not move at all. I stayed literally at 80 milligrams per deciliter and I'm going to end my day today at 92% metabolic score. So I'm very happy with today's results. And it'll tell you what, like the earlier you eat, the more you can stay in that optimal range. And I just want to share that with you because so often we're eating late, we're having late night snacks. And not only is this messing with our brain function, our ability to clean up any gunk in the brain, amyloid plaques, but also it's forcing your mitochondria and your cells to work harder. The sugar stays in the blood longer. It's just a hot mess. And so if you can, I know it's so, so hard to do, but do your best to eat around seven and try not eating again until the morning. I know it can take a lot of practice. I know how much late night eating comes into play for a lot of people, but if you could have a tea or sparkling water or find other ways to distract yourself, I promise you that one strategy will make all the difference. All right. Now, the biggest, biggest win that I learned, another big takeaway, is the benefit of walking after a meal. If you can walk 20 to 30 minutes, even 40 minutes after a meal, especially after dinner, and you can stabilize blood sugar levels quicker because muscles take in the majority of glucose from a meal. By walking, your muscles take on more because they're utilizing that glucose and they're pulling it from the bloodstream. So walk as much as you can, especially after any meal, but especially dinner if you can. Now, what was probably the biggest win for my metabolic flexibility was adopting intermittent fasting and strength training four times a week. I typically fast 14 to 16 hours a day, which is normally 7 p.m. to 10 a.m. And with the exception of coffee. And I will say that during that fasting period, I normally work out about 30 to 45 minutes. And I usually break that fast with protein and veggies. And what I've learned is that this continues to keep my blood sugar in optimal range. And I just wanted to let you know that when I have my coffee in the morning, which is a little bit of almond milk, unsweetened almond milk, it doesn't change my blood sugar levels at all. I was definitely very concerned about my coffee intake affecting my blood glucose levels and literally no change. And I've looked at it every single day, all the days that I've been wearing one, and I've never seen a change. So I don't know if you're 
going to be excited about that news. I know that I was. I really wasn't ready to give up coffee right now with a new baby and waking up in the morning. And so it worked out that I don't have to. Lastly, I learned that some of my favorite foods are on the top five big offenders list. So I want to share with you the top five unsuspecting foods that create the biggest glucose spikes in the blood when you eat them on average. And this is information from Levels. They've been collecting all this data. And so they know based on what you're eating, what's happening. So grapes are one of the top five and really any tropical fruit. But grapes are a big one. Oatmeal, and I know we're told so often that oatmeal is so great for heart health, but oatmeal is a processed food, or at least some oatmeal is processed, and there can be gluten in them, there can be sugars in them. So oatmeal has consistently raised and spiked people's blood sugar. Sushi, no surprise there. I experienced that in real time, and it was shocking. Asahi bowls, again, another one that I love. And if I do have one, I will have one in the morning, like at 10 a.m., and then go take a really, really long walk. And then the last is going to be pho or ramen. Again, you're talking about rice noodles, same situation as the rice. And this probably also goes for like poke bowls, things like that, where there's a lot of rice, similar to sushi. Now, as I mentioned, you know, it can be hard to learn these things, but it's so, so critical because, you know, there's going to be times where you definitely have a sushi lunch or a sushi dinner, or maybe have an asahi bowl on vacation. But the more that we know, the more that we can plan for it to be a treat and not be the typical day. Okay, now I want to share five less surprising blood sugar bombs that will guaranteed spike your blood sugar out of control. Number one, fast food (laughs) from places like McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and Carl's Jr. No surprise there. Fast food is going to wreck you. (laughs) Number two, donuts. Again, no surprise there. Number three, my husband was heartbroken about this. Pizza. Although we do do grain-free, gluten-free pizza crusts, and we do them very rarely, and we make them literally all of it, like besides the pizza crust, we put everything on by scratch. But I would say probably like Domino's or, you know, whatever chain pizza place is definitely going to raise your blood glucose levels. Pancakes is another one. Probably waffles and French toast too go into that category. And then cereal. Cereal is a major offender. Again, these are all just processed foods. So my biggest takeaway from my month-long experiment was to focus on foods that heal the gut, liver, and hormones. And these are the foods that I ate specifically to get my Hajimoto's disease into remission. And it's how I ate when I was pregnant, honestly. And it's how I know that I need to eat to stay healthy today. That was the biggest takeaway from this whole thing is that... My hormone-loving, gut-loving, liver-loving foods are also the foods that stabilize blood sugar levels. Now, if you want to get a sense of what that looks like, I do have a beautiful 14-recipe hormone balancing guide that I will have in the show notes. And what I love about this is that all these recipes are super delicious, they are super easy to make, and it gives you a great sense of like, okay, these are the types of foods that are going to stabilize my blood sugar levels that are super safe and are also going to love up on my gut and liver and my hormones. Now, I will also have a link to check out Levels Health and check out a little bit more about the app. Right now, Levels Health is still in beta mode and they have, I want to say, 150,000 people on the wait list. But the technology is phenomenal and I'm just so, so excited about it getting released and I'm not exactly sure when that's going to be, but they have incredible content on their blog that is absolutely worth checking out. 
Lastly, I want to share what you can do to lower insulin resistance even without a CGM because I get that maybe eating a CGM is not going to happen for you at the moment. They're not super easy to get your hands on. Some of them can be very expensive and I was really grateful to get to buy one or get to get one when it was in beta mode. And so I know that they're gonna become more and more available because it's information about your body is game changing. This is literally going to change how we think about our metabolism and it's gonna significantly reduce the numbers around diabetes and prediabetes and so many other conditions related to those issues. In case you were thinking, what if I am a little insulin resistant right now? Here is how you can address it. The first items are lifestyle strategies and tools. They're not related to nutrition. I'm just gonna share them really quickly and then I'm gonna get into the nutritional piece. One, sleep at least seven hours at night, right? Lack of sleep makes us crazy, wonky, but it completely wrecks our blood glucose levels and our insulin levels. You also wanna be taking supplements, especially B vitamins, magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, chromium, and berberine. Chromium and berberine and magnesium are great for helping to stabilize blood sugar levels. And B vitamins, vitamin C, those are huge for supporting the liver. Vitamin D is also great for stabilizing your metabolism. So these are all just super, super critical for us. We as women absolutely need them. Now, since diabetes runs in my family and I have a genetic propensity towards type 2 diabetes, as I've mentioned before, I personally take magnesium glycinate, chromium, B vitamins, vitamin D, vitamin C, along with adding fiber to my smoothies. I take berberine too. And I also take a spore-based probiotic by Just Thrive Probiotics. So that's what I'm taking every day to ensure my blood sugar levels are more stable. Lastly, I recommend strength training three times a week. That means lifting weights so that you maintain your muscle mass and increase your metabolic flexibility and significantly decrease your crazy cardio sessions if you're doing those. You only need 30 minutes of cardio three days a week, and honestly, brisk walking counts. does not need to be strenuous. If it's too high stress, you're gonna go into stress mode and it's gonna throw off your insulin levels anyway. Now, regarding nutrition, I do want you to consider a 12-hour fast, like from 7 to 7 or 8 to 8, and focus on having four-hour breaks between meals so that your body and your hormones recover from the business of eating. Next, you want to control your carbohydrates. Of the three macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbs, carbs not only cover the broadest spectrum of foods, but they're also the biggest insulin offenders. In general, a carbohydrate will spike insulin more than anything else. But not all carbohydrates are created equal. So here are some basic principles I want you to follow. Avoid carbs with added sugar. Things like cereal and pancakes and waffles and pizza and ah, all those things, right? Focus on natural food. So if it comes from a box or a bag, best avoid it. If it's got a barcode, best avoid it. If it's got a ton of ingredients, best avoid it. Don't drink your carbs. Better yet, don't drink your calories. Don't drink sugar, right? That's gonna, guaranteed. I remember my glucose tolerance test, that was just drinking sugar. And then limit carbs at dinner. Focus on veggies and protein and a little bit of healthy fat. That's gonna be the big, big game change for us. And speaking of protein, you want to prioritize protein at every single meal, including breakfast. To optimize muscle and bone growth and exercise recovery and support the liver, aim to get 1 to 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. If you're older, you're going to be on the higher side of that at 1.5 grams, maybe a little bit more because we become progressively less capable of changing dietary protein into muscle protein as we age. We just lose that muscle mass. 
Next, don't fear healthy fats. Dietary fats have little effect on insulin. It's a useful nutrient that can nourish the body while not contributing to an insulin load, especially when we're metabolically flexible, we can move from sugar burning to fat burning. But don't feel compelled to add fat. Don't worry about it, especially when it comes with protein as nature intended. So don't fear fats, but don't try adding them in either because that can also cause issues down the line for us. So a lot of women really struggle with keto because of this fact. You just have to really know your body. I know for me, adding extra fats to my body usually never does me any favors. I get enough from just what I'm doing. And as I mentioned before, if you want some healthy, delicious recipes that follow these guidelines and can support insulin sensitivity and boost your metabolism, just go and grab that 14-day hormone balancing recipe guide. It's free, you'll love it, it's gorgeous, and it's got some amazing recipes in it. And if you wanna learn more about the Levels app, as I said, I will have the link in the show notes. Now, I believe that the future of medicine is being able to measure what is happening in our bodies in real time. And a CGM is a great way to understand our metabolic health in real time, along with providing amazing accountability. Watch, you watch that glucose spike go up, you're like, ooh, goodness. Like, and you get a different score, best believe you're like, I'm taking note, (laughs) that food was not serving my body. And that's really what it comes down to, is like, what is serving your body? What is helping your body to thrive versus not? So I just wanted to just speak into that because we all deserve to have metabolic flexibility. We deserve to have a body that's working for us. And the more that we can measure it, we can really get a sense of what's going on with us as an individual. Now, as always, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today on the Essentially You podcast. I know this was a longer episode, but this has been such a powerful discovery for me that I just could not not share it with you. If you found this episode helpful, head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and rate and review the Essentially You podcast. We're over 3 million downloads at this point, which is so, so exciting. And it is all thanks to you and you being willing to share this with friends and family. Up next, I am hosting some rock star women hormone experts, Maria Claps and Kristen Johnson. We're talking about the lowdown on declining hormones and how they impact our weight, mood, and sleep. Until then, have an amazing weekend, an amazing summertime. I'll see you on the next episode.